chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This is a familiar passage. You've heard it, I'm sure. Verse 42 begins this way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Amen. So, if you were with us last week, you remember we have begun this whole new series on really who we are as Mosaic. Uh, and it's kind of a, a fun time for me to jump back in. It's been a long time since I preached because of sabbatical things. Uh, and so it's nice to be back up here. Uh, and it's nice to jump in kind of at something that's all about who we are as a church. Uh, this is something we've done in a lot of different ways over the years. We've done like a core values series. Uh, we've done core beliefs. We've talked about the creed that we say each Sunday morning, what that's all about, what we believe about these things. Uh, but this, we're kind of taking a different angle, saying some of the same things, but in a different way. Last week, we began with the notion of the via media, right? The middle way. And how, as a community, we are seeking that. Jonathan was talking about the way in which we, as a community at Mosaic, we want to find this middle way, the Jesus way, in the midst of the constant pendulum swing of our society from, from one end of the spectrum to the other. We want to find this middle way, the Jesus way. And the focus today is kind of shifting to where we see that happening at. How do we even do that? Where is that taking place? In community. Now, community is, is a word that's thrown around by a whole lot of people in a lot of different circles, and they mean wildly different things, right? Wildly different views exist about community and what exactly it is, and it can be used in very vague ways. We want to kind of put a finer point on it, but what we mean in the context of the church. Now, a lot of people, when they say community, it just means at the simplest level, they've got some group of folks. Most of the time, people that they have something in common with that they like, maybe, but we want to use a word that I, I think is, is helpful. Jonathan and I were talking about it uh, over the last couple of weeks, and a word the church has used for a very long time that you may not have ever heard because it's kind of fallen out of use is common life. Common life. Life in common. That's what you're seeing in Acts 2. That's why I want us to read this passage. There's this line, all the people were together Right? If you read the end of the Gospels, you read the beginning of Acts, there's a lot to be said for the people being together. Incredible things happen when they're together, right? Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes because they waited together in Jerusalem. Jesus appears to the disciples when they are together. Who's not there? Thomas. And he misses something because he's not together with them, right? There's something to be said for being together, right? They were together and they had everything in common. They shared not just their material possessions, not just their money when it was necessary as needs arose within this new community. Not only that, 
They shared life in common. They had everything in common. They worshiped together. They ate together. They lived their lives and shared their lives together, right? And that contrasts pretty sharply with the society that we live in, right? In a society that, that builds the notion of truth all around individualism, right? A self-centric notion of the truth. In our society, things like scripture, things like logic, things like even science at this point, any authoritative voice, the news, right? Those things can't really be trusted, right? They all have to be verified by your own research on the interwebs, right? This is the way we function. This is the way we've seen things for so long. Those things cannot be trusted, and so you are left to wrestle with what is true on your own, right? Because what can be trusted is what you find within yourself. This is the way we understand things, highly individualistic. This is how you find what is real and what is true. But as followers of Jesus, we believe something different. As people that are seeking this middle way, we believe that truth is found in this life we share in common. Truth is found in community, in relationship, and not merely in myself. We live life in common, and this is where we find the truth. Now, part of the challenge of this whole conversation is that the word common means a lot of different things, right? Like we hear common, and there are a couple different ways it's used, right? And the same thing is true in the New Testament. This word that we get common from is used different ways in the New Testament. The English word common comes from the Greek word koinon or koina. And you've seen it before. You've seen it. It, it occurs first in Acts and is used a number of times there. And in Acts 2, what we read today is that they shared all things in common. They shared all things in koina. They had all these things in common common, right? And when we hear the word common, that's a lot of times what we think of, right? We think of something people share. They have this in common, right? They share certain attributes or, or preferences or opinions, political views, style, whatever it might be. They have that in common, right? This is how we think of things. And yes, they had all these different things in common, right? Whether that was possessions or Beliefs, they had those things in common. They shared that. It means common in that way. But we also think of common in a different way. And so does Acts. It uses the word a little bit differently. When we think of common, we think of something being ordinary. We think of it being normal. We think of it being nothing special, right? Because it is just, it's just common, right? It's like it's the stuff of the common folk. It's like you walk to the coffee table and you see that there's no like, you know, French vanilla creamer. You know, where's that stuff at? You know, where's the hazelnut at? Right? And you think, man, I really want that. No, but see, Jonathan will tell you that's for the commoners, okay? We don't, we don't, we don't do such things here, okay? It's for the common folk. We don't, we don't want to go there. I'm joking. I don't know anything about coffee. I don't even drink coffee. So I, that just, you know, if anybody's judged, it's me, okay? Listen, so... We think of something common as being just, just ordinary. It's just so normal. There's nothing special about it, right? And in Acts 10, you see them use the word similarly. For them, it, it meant something slightly different, though. Peter is having this moment in Acts 10 where he realizes that the gospel is not just about God redeeming Israel. 
It's not just for the Jews. He's beginning to realize God is redeeming even the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit is coming even into the lives of Gentile people, right? And he has this incredible vision. And in this vision, from heaven are descending all these different kinds of foods. Some of those foods are clean and most of them are unclean. All these different kinds of animals. And God says, eat. And Peter in this moment is almost like offended, right? He's uncomfortable with this. Peter replies, Lord, you know I have never eaten anything unclean. You know we don't do that, right? You know that's unlawful. That would be unclean. I don't do it. He says, Lord, you know I have never eaten anything common. Koinon. I've never eaten anything koinon. I don't do that. We don't do that. That's illegal. It's unlawful. It's sinful. That word, it meant common, unclean, unholy, right? Lord, you know I've never done all of this. Now think about this. Jewish society at the moment, at that time, in Peter's lifetime, was divided very neatly in such a way as to keep the clean from the unclean, to keep the common and the holy separated, right? This is the way it works, right? You have to keep those things away from these things. Think about the temple. They're the outer courts of the temple, and Gentile people, non-believing people, can visit that part of the temple. But then there are the inner courts of the temple, and only Jewish people, only the believing people can enter into the, the inner courts. There's this level of separation that exists, right? But even the people of Israel are kept separated at some level from the temple because only the priests are allowed to go into the holy place, right? The real interior of the temple, but even those priests are excluded from entering into the holy of holies, right? They can't step into that space. Only one priest gets to do that and only once a year, right? So there's all this separation, all of these barriers that are put in place so as to keep the common from the holy. And God is saying to Peter in this moment, don't call anything common that I have made holy. Don't call anything unclean that I have made clean, he says. Nothing is common, right? And what makes this so is the Spirit. Acts chapter 2 begins with this incredible moment. They've been waiting in Jerusalem. They don't know what they're waiting for. The Spirit comes, and by the time you get to the end of Acts chapter 2, you see this thing that has happened, koinonia. A word you're probably familiar with, this notion of fellowship or community. They have everything in koinon, they are koinonia. The Spirit creates community, right? And that means, if the Spirit is the one who's doing it, it means no one is excluded from it. That's what Peter is seeing. No one's excluded from the, the kingdom. Whether they're poor or sinner or Gentile, they're not excluded any longer. Don't call anything common that I have made holy. The indwelling Spirit of God opens this up, this common life. It makes this common life we share together possible. Now think about this. In a society that is so thoroughly shaped by the Enlightenment and Western philosophy, in a society that is so shaped by the Industrial Revolution and the constant progression of technology, and thus increasingly individualistic, 
and increasingly isolated, right? Technology is always promising that it's going to bring us together and very rarely does it actually do so, right? We know this. We've learned this, but we kind of haven't learned it yet. More and more we grow more and more individualistic, more and more isolated. And in the midst of that kind of society, we're called together into this common life. We share the Spirit of God in common, right? If this is true, that we share the the Spirit of God in common, if this community is formed by the Spirit, then nothing is common. You see what he's doing? If we share the Spirit of God in common, if this is the thing that unites us, if this is what we have in common, is God's Spirit, then nothing is common any longer. Everything somehow is holy. God is opening up this whole new kind of world. Every gathering is sacred. Every meal is holy. Every relationship is spiritual. God is is opening a door to something. There's more to community, more to this common life than we might have imagined. There's more than just the relationships, the visible relationships that you think of when you think of something like community. There's more, something deeper and more mysterious than what might appear on the surface, right? Jewish people lived in a world that was divided between common things and and holy things, between Jews and Gentiles. Pagan people in the Roman Empire lived in a world that was divided between the haves and the have-nots, between the weak and the powerful, They lived in this world, slave and free. There were all kinds of ways that things were divided, all kinds of separation. And from Acts, we see the birth of this people, the birth of a community, a group of people who, though they seem to have very little in common, by the Spirit, they share everything in common. They have very different stories Very different lives, right? They come from very different religions, we're finding, in Acts. They speak different languages. And yet, by the Spirit, though they may have had little in common, now they share everything in common, right? Who, though they might seem really common and ordinary, like the simplest of people, right? In reality, they are gifted and holy, right? They are no longer common. God has made them holy in this new kind of way. Acts is pressing upon us this reality of community, of common life. There is nothing common about a group of people who find a way of sharing everything in common in a world that is so divided. How in a world that is so divided could this group of people lay claim to this, that they have everything in common, that they are united in that kind of way? And the same is true for us. How? In a world so divided, could there be a group of people who are seeking to have everything in common? There's nothing common or ordinary about that. That is miraculous. It is the work of the Spirit. That is compelling. That is unique. And that is what the church is supposed to be. It's not always what the church has been, though. And I think for many of us, we're like, yeah, that sounds really sentimental and really romantic and beautiful, and I like it, and if only that was my experience. But community is also a mess very often. It is difficult. It consists of very broken people. And the truth is, a lot of times, what we even mean when we say community, what we're even looking for is sometimes so, so off. 
It so misses the mark of what Scripture is holding before us. Like most of what we say, when we say something like community or, or common life, it's actually something else. Something else entirely. If you've hung around Mosaic very long, you've probably heard us rail against this stuff. In Blueprint, we'll bring it up sometimes when we talk about these things. But this is really important to us, our vision of community and how we define it. It's important for us to do this because we live in a culture where we are constantly inundated, I think most or or primarily, instead of with community, with the idea of of network. We live in a society of, of networks. We value network. That is the framework most of us have been given. We're taught to value networks. We're taught to to learn the skill of networking. This is how we function. And most of us think of church in the same kind of way, in ways we don't even realize necessarily. And so it's important for us kind of to, to differentiate here. Like, how is this thing I'm talking about, common life or community as the church defines it, different from, you know, community as, as network people talk about it? Because network people kind of masquerade as community, right? It sells really well, right? But if you think about it, a network, whether it is like the social media variety or like a professional organization, whatever it might be, a network is all about elevating the individual member, right? It's all about lifting this particular member. That's why I join it. It's built around a common commodity that I want, that I think I need, whatever it might be. And because the network has that, offers me access to it, that's why I join it. Its purpose is to allow me to acquire that commodity, whatever it might be. We join a network because it is advantageous to me. Why else would I be a part of the network? Everybody gets what they want. That's why we're in a network. A few years ago, I was turned on to this, this book, actually on education uh, in the U.S. It was in, a, I think, maybe a blog somebody had written. It's hard for me to even remember at this point. But it's a, an educator, a guy named John Gatto. He had been a, a teacher in New York City in the public school system. And years later, he taught, I, I think, in a university, wrote a, a number of books on education, the problem of education in our society. And what he says actually speaks really powerfully to the church. He's talking about how we need to differentiate between network and, and community. And he says, uh, first off, the thing we need to recognize about networks is all networks are meant to be large. They need to be large. The larger, the better, right? Because the larger they are, the more anonymous they can be, right? I can kind of fade into the background. I can hide out. I get what I need, and yet I'm not inconvenienced in any way by any of these other people, right? It needs to be larger, right? And thus, it's all about passivity and consumption. Why am I part of the network? just so I can be here and get what I want. And so I passively sit by and I consume more and more, right? This is what a network is like. Everybody passively participates in the network. The point is this. The larger it is and the more anonymous it is, the better. I don't need to know these people. I didn't join this network to get to know the other people in the network. I joined the network to get what I need, to get what I want. That's why I'm here. We all decided that it was mutually advantageous for us to be a part of the network. That's why I am here. And so it's best if I'm just passively hidden in the background. The network does all of the work on my behalf. No one pours into a network. It serves the purpose of the individual members. It pours into me. That's what it's supposed to do. 
We acquire what we need through the network. And if we're, we're real about it, if we're honest, that sounds shockingly like what we've experienced in church sometimes. It sounds shockingly like the way we function in church. Like this is how we're taught to think about church. When we say community, we normally mean something like this at this point. Because the two have been so mixed together, so mingled in our society, right? When we talk about church very often, this is what we mean. We have needs, and inasmuch as the church can meet those needs, then we are glad to be a part of it. And at any point, if said church no longer meets my needs, then I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. Maybe God is calling me elsewhere, right? Throw some sanctified language on it, right? Like these sorts of things happen, right? Like we, we live this way. This is what it sounds like when people are talking about how they decided to participate, to be a part of a church, right? In our society, people are left. They don't know what else to do. It feels like competition, and I've just got to choose the one that, that, that best suits me, right? We're left to do this. And most of the qualifications we're given are pretty self-centric. This is how it works. i got to figure out what's best for me. And to some extent, let's all acknowledge I'm not hating on that completely. You do have to be in agreement with the people you choose to be in common life with, right? You do have to share something in common with them, right? That, that's important. We get that. But we're trained to think about this to the nth degree. Common life, though. On the other hand, common life is not about elevating an individual member. It's about elevating the whole of the community. That's common life. It's about elevating the collective group. It's built around not a common commodity, but a common identity we all share as believers, as, as followers of Jesus. This is what community looks like. This is what common life looks like. When he's kind of comparing and contrasting network and community, Gatto makes this comment. Again, keep in mind, he's just talking about parents. He's talking about communities where these schools are. He says, community is at its best. It's meant to be small. It's meant to be intimate. It doesn't mean it can't grow. But the challenge will always be for community in common life, the, the challenge will always be how do we, as this growth is happening, maintain that smallness and that intimacy? How do we keep from becoming anonymous? How do we keep from hiding? See, contrary to the network community is not about passivity. It's about action. It's about contribution. It's about pouring in. This is what it actually looks like. Everyone must actively contribute to the collective, to the church. That's what church has to look like, right? And the thing that Acts is confronting us with and this this conversation on network versus com community is we really put a finer point on it. What we're confronted with it's like, if you're not pouring into the church, if you're not pouring into this common life, if you're not pouring into community, you have to ask yourself, have you actually experienced it? Is what you're calling community really community then? Is what you're calling church really church then? Or have you experienced something else, a network of your own making that's just advantageous to you, right? Like, what we're left to consider is this. Maybe the reason you say you want the church to grow it's not actually the reason you're saying you want the church to grow. Maybe the reason you want the church to grow is because it's personally validating. 
Right? It always feels good when something we value turns out other people like as well. It's growing. It's, it's changing. This is good, right? It makes us feel this sense of, of validation, right? Maybe it's not actually about the kingdom. Maybe it's not about souls. Maybe it's not about people being redeemed, right? Maybe instead, it's just about personal validation. Maybe it's just about making more available to you, growing your network. And that's hard to swallow. I mean, ouch is what I was thinking as I wrote it, right? Like, personally, I feel that. Ouch, right? Because there are so many pastors who find all of their value in this sort of thing. Whether society sees this community of theirs as growing, as successful, as flourishing, right? It's so easy to be there. Do I really want the church to grow, or is it really just about validating self, being seen a particular kind of way, right? Or do you, like... Do you want there to be more people in the church? Because more people means, I don't know what your situation is. More people means more single people. And where there are more single people, maybe I can find a fly honey, right? Or whether, do people say fly honey anymore? That, that was like a, a throwback, like, like a real throwback. Um, who knows what will come out in the moment, right? Maybe I can find, you know, like a man with a decent five-year plan sort of thing, right? right? Like, a, a, like a man who's going to have a job in a year or two, right? Like maybe I'll be able to find that because more people, more single people, right? And you laugh, but people say these kinds of things. They have to think about these kinds of things. In our context, people do. We think about more people means more money, right? And if there's more money, then there's more programs which can appeal to me, Right? There's more money, there's more ministries, right? means the church is doing more in the city and more in the world around it. And if the church, if the community is doing more, that makes me feel like I am doing more. Even though I'm just passively consuming as a part of the thing, right? It validates me. See, like... The thing we have to consider is like maybe what we've been handed for so long, maybe what you've experienced isn't common life, isn't community or church in the truest sense. You see, the, the church is not a network that is advantageous to you. It's a common life we all pour into. It's a spirit that binds us together in such a way that we have somehow miraculously, as different as we are, as diverse as we are, somehow we have everything in common. It's a community we pour ourselves into, and a, that collective community is pouring itself out into the world around us, right? Common life is the alternative to the lonely journey you are being offered by our society. Common life is something different. It's that intimacy of relationship that you actually long for. And common life is where you find it. Our goals and our desires have to fit into this vision of kingdom community. You long for it. You long for this kind of intimacy. And where you'll find it is not as intuitive as society might think. As you pour in, those relationships form. And we are all collectively drawn nearer to Jesus, deeper into the kingdom. It's not a network. It's a community, a common life. But there's another way, another word that the New Testament uses that I think is, is worth talking about. I think this one's very familiar, even more familiar. And I think more of us 
connect to this a bit easier. The notion of a family, right? The notion that as a part of the church, we are part of the household of Jesus. The Greek word Paul uses to talk about the church so often is, is oikos, a house. We are a house. We're a part of the, the family of faith, maybe you've heard. Like this kind of language is used. And we kind of take it for granted, right? We throw around words like brother and sister. It's become so common within our society as a result of the church's use of these sorts of words, right? But though we take it for granted, it was one of the most compelling and unique aspects of the early church. It was not common for people to use that kind of language. There was a famous comedian in Rome by the name of Lucian. I thought a quote of his was, was particularly helpful. His views on the church were not positive, obviously. It was all satire, very stinging, kind of sarcastic stuff that he had to say about the church. He didn't like the church. He didn't like what he saw. But his perspective was accurate of what was happening. This is what he says. Um, that first lawgiver of theirs, Jesus, persuaded them that they are all brothers and sisters the minute they deny the Greek gods and take to worshiping him, the crucified sophist himself. And to living their lives according to his rules, they scorn all possessions without distinction and treat them as common property. Doctrines like this, they accept strictly on faith. Silliness. They actually think they're brothers and sisters. They really think they're family just because they follow this crucified Jew. See, that's the grand vision of the early church. It's not really a religion like the other ones they've come in contact with. It's not a network. It's not an organization, some civic group that you become a member of, right? It's not an empire as it will eventually become. It's a family. That's the government of the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters. And yes, we have a king, but he's Jesus, and he's our brother, and you are his brother or sister. This is the vision of the kingdom, of the church at work in it, family. And they cared for one another like they were related to one another, like they were born into this relationship, right? They cared for one another like they were responsible for one another. This was who they were. That's beautiful. And it was noticeable. It was compelling, bothersome in the eyes of many people because they'd never seen anything like this. It doesn't make any sense, right? Because there's no self-preservation in it. There's no survival instinct in it. This willingness to put one another before yourself. But the New Testament, it actually takes it a step further. Right? This isn't just about the people you like or the people who believe the same thing as you do. The church took it a step further. The Roman Emperor Julian, I'm sure you all know his name, right? Flavius Claudius Julianus, you keep up with your emperors and stuff. He was actually uh, the nephew of Constantine. Now, there's a more familiar emperor. You know his name. Constantine is the emperor who first led Rome in the direction of Christianity. He made it legal. He didn't make it the official religion, but he did make it legal, and he was kind of an admirer of Jesus, it seems like. That means that Julian was raised in a family where Christianity was taught. 
He was fed Christian teaching most of his life growing up, but he resented it. He rejected it. What Julian wanted was reform. He wanted to go back to the old pagan ways. The more he saw that Rome was becoming Christian, the less he liked of it. Again, not a positive view. But listen to what he says. How apparent to everyone it is and how shameful that our own people lack support from us when no Jew ever has to beg. And the impious Galileans, I love that line, right? You can just hear it, the entitlement, the impious Galileans. Those Jesus people, they support not only their own poor, but ours as well. It doesn't make any sense, right? He's saying it's making us look terrible. We look like fools. Our priests are drinking and sleeping around. What are they doing? These people take care of not just their own poor, not just their own family, their brothers and sisters. They take care of our poor as well. And this is how they were seen. Impious Galileans. They're immoral people. Why? Because they refuse to worship the Roman gods we have known for so long and they bring all kinds of curses on us, right? They choose instead to worship a crucified Jew and it will be our end. This is the way they're seen, immoral and impious. But one thing they cannot deny is these people care for one another and for others well in a different kind of way than they have seen. They don't care if it's Christian poor or their pagan poor neighbors. They care in a different sort of way. That was unparalleled and unique in ancient Rome and in the ancient world from what we know historically. We take it for granted. Again, we would never turn away somebody from a soup kitchen because they're an atheist, right? Don't take that for granted. That was not the case in this context. These people were unique and compelling in the way that they cared. They cared in a different way. Jonathan and I were talking um, in the office, I guess a week and a half, two weeks ago. He asked, he said, hey man, I want to sit down and I want to talk about sabbatical. I want you to, you know, give me your impressions of sabbatical, what it was like. Because again, neither of us have ever done this. It's all completely new for us. And um, as I was sitting there trying to like think of what left the strongest impression for me, it was that, it was that first Sunday. Um, some of you guys might have been around. Some of you might have not been. Um, April and I, uh, the kids, we came. We showed up at the same time everybody else shows up. I don't know, five minutes before the service. That's not something we normally do, right? And while we were here, somebody else preached and somebody else led worship because neither Jonathan nor I was up front. Jonathan wasn't even here, right? It was just me sitting in the background. And obviously, my impulse in that moment is like, well, I need to you know, kind of step in. But we had said up front, like, no, no, you just, just need to be present, right? And multiple people approached me that morning, you know, asking me how I was doing with it all, right? Because I think they could, they could tell maybe, or they just knew it might be strange. Like, how is it, man? How do you feel about it? Like, you all right? You looking forward to it? People gave us gifts and stuff. People asked us not to do anything. It was, it was interesting. You know, it was, it was like a strange feeling. But the thing I was, I was overwhelmed with, April and I were in the car for like the entire day, that, that, that Monday right after. And I remember us talking on the way. And the, the, the impression I was left with was this sense that, that I was actually cared for. 
people here actually care for me. And the truth is, like, in churches, people don't always feel that. In community, what people are saying, like, obviously they know that's what they're supposed to feel, but they don't always actually feel cared for, genuinely. Like, and pastors, certainly not, right? Because the pastors, the expectation is like, you know, people in leadership are the ones doing the caring. We've given that responsibility to you, and you recognize when you decide to do this that it's a pretty thankless position, right? But I found myself as someone who is charged to care for people that I was cared for. And that's, that's like breath in your lungs. That's good, right? This is church. This is the common life we share together. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what it was. That was what was so compelling and unique about it. Not their, their ability to philosophize. Not their ability to, to evangelize so, so effectively. Not their ability to outsmart everyone or outwit everyone in every argument in the public square. No. What was so compelling and unique about them was the Spirit of God at work in them, somehow mysteriously making them have everything in common when they, they should have nothing in common. Some of them are poor and some of them are wealthy. Some of them are Jew and some of them are Gentile. Some of them are women and some of them are men. How is it that they could have everything in common? How is it that they could be a house? How is it that they could be a family? And you may not always feel that. And it's easy for me to be like, you may not have felt that in other churches. No, like you may not even feel that here. Like that's the reality of it. Like sometimes you can be here and feel invisible. Like church can be that way. Community can feel that way. That's the reality of the thing. You may not have felt like a brother or a sister, right? It may have just felt like nice words you throw around because that's how we talk around here. No. That, that may not have been your reality. But that's the thing we're after. That's what we want to constantly be holding up. That's what we're inviting you into at Mosaic. That's what we want. Your experience of church may feel like anything but that. I think it's like we're talking today, like... The truth is, like, some of us may be like, yeah, seriously, my whole life in church, it's just been like a social network that I'm kind of plugged into, and it's good for me because I need to know Jesus, I need to be a better person, and so I'm a part of it. I don't feel known, though. I don't feel cared for, necessarily. I don't feel like I got anything in common with anybody. This idea of life in common feels foreign. It just feels like surface-level relationships. But we're being invited into something far deeper and more beautiful. That's what the table is all about. As the band comes this morning and we move to the table, we're reminded of this one loaf where this all began, right? We all eat of one loaf. We all drink of, of one cup. I can't help but think of Jesus. Jesus is passing a cup to a pretty diverse group of people. Sitting around the table with Jesus that night. He's passing the cup to his betrayer, Judas, He's passing the cup to his denier, Peter. He's passing his cup to Matthew, a betrayer of his own people, a greedy man by any account, a tax collector and a sinner who's just recently been converted. He's passing the cup to Simon the Zealot, a violent man, a murderous man who's just recently been converted, but he's still got a lot of that in him, right? 
And Jesus knows all of this. These people are diverse. They don't seem to fit together. And yet Jesus is saying, eat of the one loaf. Drink of the one cup. Be filled with the one spirit. This is what we're inviting you into. Come to the table this morning. Step into this, this common life. Out of network, out of a self-centric worldview, and into this other-centric worldview. Pouring into the community and being poured into by it. This is what we're calling you into. This is what we, we dream of. This is what we hope for at Mosaic. And it's what we hope you're experiencing. Uh, if you're not, we'd love to, to talk about it with you. We'd love to pray. We'll get a chance to do that here in a bit. But we invite you guys to the front now. You can tear off a piece of bread. Uh, you can take a cup and move back toward your seats. And as they finish this song, we'll all come back together. Father, I just thank you for, um, for this gathering. Um, I thank you for the sanctity of this present moment. Where we are here and now what you're doing here, how your spirit is ministering. God, we just, we just say we long for a church unlike as has been handed to us sometimes by our society. We long for the church that you desired for us to be. And we pray, God, that you'd help us to kind of peel back all the frivolity, all of the emptiness, all the appearances and facades, Lord, that we might really experience common life together. I pray these things in Jesus' name.